Welcome everyone to episode five of Campus Pep Talk by IBA. Today we are joined by special guest Heather Oakley from University of Florida Health Proton Therapy Institute. And they just celebrated their 15 year anniversary treating patients with Proton. Heather is the Director of Social Services and will give us some insight and understanding into what it's like to be a patient or family member going through proton therapy treatment. We're trained to help these patients and their families because obviously when, when someone's diagnosed, their whole family is essentially diagnosed. So what we want to do is help them cope with all of those disruptions in ways that physicians can't. Um, we operate from a strengths-based perspective when working with patients. Heather is the director of the Social Services Department and has been a practicing clinical social worker for 13 years. A social worker is a master's degree prepared professional and an integral part of the multidisciplinary healthcare system. Social workers are trained to examine and address life's problems in a holistic way. They elevate and empower people, giving them the ability to solve problems, cope with personal roadblocks, and obtain the resources they need to succeed. In oncology social work, social workers help patients and their families cope with the physical, emotional, and social disruptions of cancer in ways that doctors do not. Heather has worked at the Proton Center for almost 10 years and was previously a clinical social worker at Nemours Children's Health in the Hematology Oncology Division. She earned her undergraduate degree in psychology at the University of Georgia and her master's degree in social work from Florida State University. She and her husband have two adult children and are enjoying the freedom of being empty nesters. In her free time, Heather likes reading, cooking, and entertaining, exercising, and traveling. Welcome to the show. Courtney, thank you so much for having me. So I love that you chose Elton John because I actually grew up playing piano and he was kind of always one of my idols and I'd always try to play his different songs, Tiny Dancer and then I'm Still Standing were always favorites of mine as well. Oh, so You can't be in a bad mood and listen to I'm Still Standing. Plus I thought it just had kind of a nice, um, you know, positive message for people who are undergoing cancer treatment. So first, I want to say congratulations to you and your colleagues at UFHPTI for celebrating those 15 years of treating with proton therapy. Um, it's really wonderful to have partnered with you guys for all of these years. And so Heather, we've had a variety of guests so far on Campus Pep Talk. We've had radiation oncologists and executive directors, chief development officers at proton sensors. Um, but I'm really excited to speak with you today because you'll help us really understand, you know, on a more human level and emotional level, what goes on in the day-to-day -day of a patient being treated with proton therapy. So could you start off um, just sharing a little bit about what a typical day consists of for you as a social worker? Cancer care is not just about the medicine. It's really about the whole person. And so what so social workers do is provide psychosocial care. And that really is a whole person approach to care. And it addresses the social, psychological, emotional, spiritual, cultural, and practical aspects of patient care. The other aspect that is, I think, starting to get a lot of traction in our field, meaning the field of um, oncology care, is financial burden and the toxicity that is associated with people who have cancer in their families. So um, we're trained to help these patients and their families because obviously when, when someone's diagnosed, their whole family is essentially diagnosed. So what we want to do is help them cope with all of those disruptions in ways that physicians can't. 
Um, we operate from a strengths-based perspective when working with patients. So that means we kind of meet them where, we, where they are. We look at the strengths that they bring to the table and figure out how they can leverage those strengths to promote positive coping. There really is not a typical day and often I come in and I think that my day is going to be X, Y, Z, and then it ends up, you know, I'm doing a lot of different interventions depending on the, the patient in the exam room. And so in my practice, I try to really be aware of what's changing, not only in their medical situation, but in their life. So this is a really fluid, ongoing kind of dynamic process, as you can imagine. And my interventions change sometimes from day to day, sometimes even from moment to moment. So you have to be, I think, able to think on your feet and, and problem solve and kind of um, just have the ability to move from patient to patient. So that's kind of a very broad, big overview. <laughs> Sure. So, I mean, it sounds like every patient has a very wide and unique set of needs and you have to be able to address all of those independently. So, correct. Um, and I'm sure those needs are both from their personal life that they bring there, but also, you know, their, their medical course of treatment. So could you tell us what's a typical course of treatment like for one of your patients? Yeah. So this is really interesting. Different disease sites have different treatment protocols. Um, some treatment courses are as short as two weeks and others are as long as eight weeks. Some patients receive chemotherapy and others don't. So some of these folks, they come and they meet the physician for a consultation and they usually have their CT planning scan that day. And then there's usually a two week break while the treatment plan is devised. So like a lung cancer patient or a child with neuroblastoma might just be treated for two to four weeks whereas someone with a brain tumor or a chordoma might be treated for seven or eight weeks. Um, and regardless of your disease site, whether you're here from two weeks or 10 weeks, I mean, it, the, those psychosocial stressors do not go away. You know, and I think we see patients like in a snapshot, we see them once a day, they come in for their treatment and they see the doctor once a week. And um, we, you know, often I connect with them outside of that. I, um, kind of in doing my assessment as, as the weeks go on and base my interventions on that assessment. So one of the things that I thought about, Courtney, kind of in advance of the podcast was the fact that in radiation oncology, we really work in a data-driven field, and it's not always easy to quantify the value that social work brings to a team. So I thought I'd present a brief case study, which will kind of speak to the monetary value of having a social worker. Um, so this was a pediatric patient that I worked with a few years ago. Um, he is a 10-year-old boy or was 10 years old at that time and had a CNS germinoma, lived outside of our local area, but his family had immigrated to the U.S. from Venezuela two years before. They were in the U.S. on an asylum visa. The parents were Spanish-speaking only. The father was employed as a truck driver and the mother stayed home to care for the three children. So she had no personal transportation. His transportation was his work truck. Um, there was some private insurance through the father's employer to cover treatment, but the family had very, very limited resources. And so if you kind of step back and look at that, you're like, okay, so they're traveling for treatment. They're not US citizens. They're here on an asylum visa, which at this time um, was kind of a 
that was something that immigrants were very concerned about. This was a few years ago and it was kind of a different landscape. Um, so I met with them and we worked on how can we, how can we make this happen for them? This is proton therapy is the best treatment for this child. How can we get the family here? So I helped them um, apply for Medicaid with the help of um, a Spanish interpreter. Um, I was able to get referrals um, for financial assistance, make referrals for financial assistance to fully cover the housing. Um, we have a van, we're so fortunate to have a van that can provide transportation within, I think it's a five or 10 mile radius of our proton center. So the van was able to take the child to and from treatment every day. Um, and then I also was uh, able to apply for and receive a financial assistance for their household bills. So dad was um, at home working, mom was here with these three children. Um, so the total support for this was um, over $8,000. Um, and that had nothing to do with the cost of the protons or any of that. That was not no medical cost. That was just what allowed them to travel to Jacksonville to get proton therapy for their child. So without social work intervention, um, psychosocial barriers may have prevented this patient from receiving the best treatment for his tumor. And as I mentioned to you before we started recording, while this money is not in a radiation oncology budget, it has a huge impact on patients and families, particularly uh, those with low resources like this one. Not to toot my own horn, but to advocate for the profession of social work, I think this, this, these illustrations speak to the importance of having social work support, um, not just for the emotional um, piece of it, obviously that is huge and critical, but just these financial things that I'm not sure everybody always thinks about, so. Yeah, um, including myself, I typically associate social workers with kind of improving the situation once you're there, but not actually making the situation possible at all. And um, I know that traveling is sometimes unique to Proton because there are less facilities. Right. Um, can you talk right. a bit about the difference between Proton versus traditional radiotherapy? 95% um, of the people that we treat at my institution live outside of our local area. And many of those are traveling from other countries. This is something really unique to the radiotherapy setting, particularly Proton therapy. And there are a lot of stressors associated with that travel. So people are um, not having their routines. They're not sleeping in their own bed. They don't have their support systems. Um, so there's those losses in addition to the new modality of treatment and a whole new medical team. Because a lot of times folks have been working with their primary oncology team at home. And now they're traveling somewhere where they don't know anything about the city. They don't know the medical team. They are probably scared of radiation and what that means. And so um, I think a lot of times people come with a lot of trepidation. And so my goal as the clinical social worker is to mitigate as many of these stressors as possible. Most people who get conventional radiation stay home. They, they don't necessarily travel for that. So I think because protons are so specialized and there are so few centers, um, of course, I'm trying to think back 15 years ago when uh, UFPTI opened, we, well, I think we were the fourth center. Loma Linda was open and MGH and one other place and then us. 
Um, and now, gosh, I don't know how many there are. Um, and we treated lots of international patients. Uh, the UK now has um, one, at least one machine or one um, facility open and, and is opening another one. So this, this kind of treatment is becoming very um, common not as common as, radi as conventional radiation, obviously, but there are more centers now, and hopefully people will be able to stay home and get the kind of care that they need from protons. Thank you so much for joining us today, Heather, and thank you for sharing your insight and helping us understand a bit more what treatment is actually like for the patients and families going through it. And again, also congratulations to UFPTI on your 15-year anniversary celebration. Thank you so much, Courtney. It was a delight to be with you and to be able to talk a little bit about proton therapy and from a social work lens. And, um, and thanks for the congratulations. We, we will be celebrating later this year. Fantastic. Thank you, Heather. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you're not already doing so, please subscribe and follow us at Campus Pep Talk on your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Music, or Google Podcasts. See you on our next episode.